Well, good morning. Leanne, what you shared was terrific. Appreciate that. Marvellous. Thanks for sharing your story here with us today. Over the past um, seven weeks, we've been exploring a series called Sacred Space, as has been mentioned. And today, what I'd like to do is try and tie the loose ends together, if there are some, because there's always many, and uh, to try and bring this series to somewhat of a closure. But just before I jump in, I do also want to encourage you to put the diary space of the 24th in and make sure that you come along to the evening of the vision night, because it's not only where we celebrate people partnering with us, but also there's going to be some transition and some leadership and we want to celebrate people who've been serving amongst us. So Wes has been chairing um, the church council for many years now. So much stuff happens behind the scenes that we're often unaware of, but it's because of good people providing leadership. And Ian as well will be transitioning out. And also when it comes to staff appointments, Stu McCartney is passing on the baton of the men's ministry and we want to celebrate that with him as well and all the good work that he's done over the many years. And so would you put that in the diary and come along because it is a well uh, evening, a well worthwhile evening to, to attend and celebrate together. Over the past um, seven weeks, we've been talking about not only sacred space, but this idea of living in a flat world. You see, in the world that we live in now, there's a lot of static in the background that says, all that we have is here and now. We are just molecules. We are just a bunch of chemicals that through space, time and chance has been put together. And that's all. But there is another story, another story that has begun um, that we've been telling about what the Bible says about beyond the flat world. In fact, if you push people and say, is all there is here and now, there'll be some people who will say, you know what, I have this sense, this inkling that, you know, when I stand before a landscape, there's part of me that wants to celebrate and And praise something or someone because of the majesty and the beauty. Um, Someone else would say, when I face a challenge in my life, I find myself praying and I'm not sure who I pray to or uh, if anyone's listening there, but I might not have a formed faith of such, but there's something in me that wants to. Have you ever experienced that sense of the, the escalation of sort of achieving something that's been great, you've been looking forward to, and there's something inside of you that wells up and says, I just want to thank someone, but I'm not sure who to thank. Or maybe, perhaps, when our culture interacts with this inkling, this yearning inside us is most profound when death arrives. And then all kinds of stories, even the sometimes the most staunch atheists, become quite romantic in their ideas about what an afterlife may or may not look like. We often experience this in our commentaries, sports commentators. Um, Perhaps someone has passed away and they've been an old legend of a sporting competition. And you'll hear them talk and say things like, well, I reckon such and such is probably up at the bar right now, having a chin wag and a good old pint with his mate talking about the good old days. I wonder if you've ever heard people talk or speak like this. Or perhaps there's a, a footballer who's just kicked a goal and they signal up to the heavens as though there's someone up above that they're interacting with or talking to as though they're present to them. I think this was most profoundly experienced in Melbourne in 2002 um, when 
We had Damien Oliver's brother had passed away tragically in a horse racing accident just the week before. And he was riding um, in the Melbourne Cup and he won the race. And he, he said these words afterwards and it was reported in the age. I don't know if you're up there, mate. I, I, I couldn't have done it without you, though. I know you're up there, mate. I couldn't have done it without you. So this is for you. You see, even in our flat world, there's a sense in which there's a yearning for something more. And so today, what I want to talk about are three things. The destination, the day, and then life in between. I want to talk about the destination, the day, and life in between. Because I ask the question as we summarize this seven-week series, is there any hope for the world? Or rather, is the world heading somewhere? And if so, where is it heading? And is there any hope? I believe there is. And if you want to follow with me, and if you have maybe a Bible present with you, if you want to follow with us, why don't you turn to Revelation chapter 21, maybe in an iOS device. And I'd love to talk to you about one of the, 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 the last book of the Bible, reportedly written by a man by the name of John on an isle of Patmos in exile. John was a follower of Jesus. He's someone who had been present to him and with him. And he had experienced him and saw him and touched him and felt him and heard him. And near the end of his life, John receives a revelation and he begins to write about it. And just while you're finding your place there, the story that the Bible tells apart from the flat world, is that there is a God who wants to be present with his people. And that in his presence, in that first beginning, those first beginning books of the Bible, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, describes a sacred space, a garden space, where the presence of God dwelt with two early hominid people. Let's call them Adam and Eve. And in that place, with God's presence, where they were open to his governance and his leadership, they shone. And he gave them the task of continuing to create sacred space and bringing order and wisdom to his world. But the tragedy of their story is the tragedy of our story, is that they decided to rather than come under the governance of God's good leadership, determining right and wrong under his steam, they decided to do it themselves. They shalak, that is that they reached out and decided to determine right and wrong for themselves. And you can see where the world ended up. There was a mess. Expelled from the garden, they were subject to the forces, if you like, of mortality and failed morality. And so if you like the story, the biblical narrative beginning from Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible is really answering the question, how is God going to be present to humanity such that they shine and reflect his creation order into his good world? And so John on the island of Patmos, he says these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride dressed 
for her husband. In this vision that John had, he saw the destiny of the world and he saw the future of the nations and he began to write it and record it. And what he described was something like a wedding scene, at least that's the imagery he sort of reckoned it towards. He said it was the beginning of something new. There was a new heaven and a new earth that was being formed and shaped and created. The old order had passed away and a new order was beginning and continuing. And he described it in terms of a marriage feast. I'm not sure about you, but one of the things that I enjoy the most about weddings when I'm conducting them is not so much looking at the bride, and there's nothing wrong with the bride, it's just that I really like looking at the groom, because the groom's probably, and his groomsmen have probably been playing cricket about a half an hour before the ceremony's begun, they've kind of just been out the backyard having a great old time, and uh, they notice that the time is up, and they quickly jump on and put on their shirts and ties and everything, and they're pretty relaxed at the front having a a really great time until the bride who's probably been preparing since 6am, all of a sudden the music starts, the processional begins and she adorns herself to the room. And there's this sort of gasp, this, this radiance that, that comes forth. And I like looking at the groom because it's usually at that moment the penny drops. All of a sudden, the room gets real serious, and he has different expressions on his faces. Sometimes there's a, a bead of sweat that breaks out. It's, it's got a little bit more serious right now, and sometimes that there's just a pale expression that comes over the face. Sometimes he's so dumbfounded by the whole scene, I could put my hand up against his face, and there's not much going on. <laughs> and then sometimes there's just a jaw drop, and, and he is just struck by the enormity the intensity, the wonder of this moment. And then she walks down the aisle and he steps down the steps and together they are joined. It's a joining ceremony. It's a unifying ceremony. It's a time of coming together. And when John looks at the scene about what's to come, the future that's to behold, he describes there being a new heaven, the place where God dwells, not just the heavens in the skies, but rather the heavenly dwelling beyond sight and sound and hearing to our normative eyes right now. There's a space where God dwells and that dwelling is going to be intersecting with our earthly, physical dwelling here. And so he goes on and he describes the words like this. He said, I heard a loud voice from the throne and this is what it said. Look, look, God has come to dwell with humans and he will dwell with them and they will be and, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will, know, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death and no more mourning or no more weeping and no more pain since the first things have passed away. There's this wonderful, wonderful sort of picture here of of a new creation dawning, a new beginning happening. And in this space, God will dwell fully and be present. It's not that he will dwell in a tent anymore or in a 
temple or even in just one garden space, if you like. His very presence is going to animate and impose itself in on this earthly sphere that we live in now. Truly, the words of the prophet Habakkuk will say that that God will fill the, the earth like the waters cover the sea. His presence will just be drenched in this sphere in which we dwell and it will be transformed and changed. And in that space, there will be no more pain and there will be no more tears. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more disease. All of those things will be expelled. It's a magic picture. It's an awesome experience. It's one of those imaginary spaces that you wonder and you often don't think about. But when it's described, there's something that resonates deep within you. Sometimes people will look at this expression and say, Troy, how is it possible? Will I still remember the struggles of earth? Will I still remember the pains, maybe my failings? Will I still remember the heartaches? And this is where we tip over into a little bit of speculation, if you like. But I kind of imagine that this space being so filled with the intense, pure, other love of God that it will somehow transform our imaginations and our minds such that we'll not be the same. In 2012, I journeyed to London for the Olympics, not competing, but just just going along with someone and being like a chaperone. And with the tickets that we had, I remember that we actually weaveled our way into the um, opening ceremony. Well, not quite in the opening ceremony, but the outside the stadium when all the athletes were coming in. And I remember standing there and watching all of the different parade go by and all the athletes sort of march in, and it was wonderful. Near the end of the um, ceremony, though, you know it's that piece de resistance, it's the celebration, it's the fireworks that happen. And I didn't know that just about 40 yards from where we were standing, the piece de resistance of all the fireworks was going to be launched. And so it looked like rocket launchers coming out of the ground. And then what seemed like for an hour, we were just captivated. And it wasn't an hour, but it seemed like that. There was just rockets going off. And with every single shot that was fired, it, it hit you. And it just kind of reverberated all the way through you. And all of our eyes from the crowd that were there were just looking upwards. And there was explosions above our heads. And there was this, the smell of smoke. And there was color. And, and there was noise and it was just this magnificent, awe-inspiring moment that we were just caught up in. If you had have asked me, Troy, I, I, do you know where you are? Do you know where your feet are? I would have said, of course, I'm standing just outside the Olympic Stadium and I'm standing next to people that I know. But in another sense, I was so captivated by the wonder of what was before me. It's as though everything just fell out of space. It seemed timeless. And I wonder in one sense, in that new heavens and that new earth, so caught up with the rapture of the intense love of God, that somehow those memories will not have the same kind of intensity. I don't know, and I don't claim to know exactly what that's going to be like, but, but here John records this sense in which God dwelling, and there's no more death, there's no more evil, there's no more wrong. That place is to be longed for. And he goes on and he says this, The one who sat on the throne said, look, I am making all things new. And he said, right, because these words are faithful and true. See, in a sense, God's not bringing a bulldozer to the earth and saying it was all bad and all wrong. I'm going to trash the house and build a new set of units. What I'm going to do is actually renew it from the inside out. 
Some of you will be aware of the, the climate of the Australian eucalypt and sometimes the only way in which the, the seedlings can actually break open is after a bushfire, after intense heat of purging, there's this breaking open of seedlings so that new life can begin. It's probably got more imagery that's looking like that, this sense of which God bringing his presence to earth and it breaks open something new and there's something new that's forming and life-giving. He's renewing that which was his creation, that which he loves. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the last panel, the last book of the series, he describes, if you like, Aslan's country as being a country that has a landscape and, and flora and fauna that's familiar to the old, but it's distinctly different and new. It's, it's deeper, he says. It's richer. It's more meaningful. There's some continuity, but there's discontinuity. There's some similarity, but there's some dissimilarity. If you like, the, the bodies that the humans will have will be, if you like, taking on a new imperishable form. It will have the shape and fit just for God's presence and dwelling. So humans will be able to stand close and near to God without there being any problems whatsoever because it's a body that's like but different. It has an eternal quality, a heavenly dimension, something that is new, that's like a hand and glove fit that was always made to be. There's this wonderful picture of the destination, if you like, the destination of the world, the destination of lives, the destination and a future. So you might ask me, well, when? When will this be? When will it happen? Well, the Bible talks about the second thing, that is the day, the destination and the day. The Bible talks about this idea of there being a day in which God will come and put wrongs to right. A day in which he will start to put things back together again. And it's just termed the day. One of the writers in the Bible by the name of Paul, he was standing in Athens and he was telling people about who Jesus was and the encounter that he'd have of Jesus in his own life and how he'd come back to life again. And God was making a new thing in this world that was pointing towards a new creation. And he says these words. Now instead, he says, rather than worshiping other idols and other gods and reaching out to them, reach up to the God who's made himself known to you in Jesus. He commands all people everywhere to do an about face to do a turnaround, kind of like what Leanne was describing this morning. That is a, a repentance because he has established a day on which he intends to call the world to account with full power and proper justice by a man whom he has appointed. And God has given all his people his pledge of this by raising this man from the dead. You see, there was this transformative act that had begun, that was set in motion that God was going to continue to do. And Paul was talking about this, a day, a day in which God would reach down and draw a line in the sand and say, enough is enough. I'm going to deal with injustice. You see, we live in a world right now that says the last thing that's loving to do is to judge, as though if we turn a blind eye to the disadvantage around us, that that's kind of okay. But it's not. God wouldn't be loving if he just let those things fly. He doesn't sweep things under the carpet. In fact, there's many people who look forward to a day, a day of rest, a day of peace, a day of shalom. Ask a gardener who's finished all the landscaping and he has a pristine garden. If he's if he looks forward to the day where there are no more weeds, he would tell you, 
Oh, I want that day. You ask a builder who's been laying the foundations of a house and everything's just immaculately put together if he longs for a day when the foundations will not shift and move and all the point work he's done is starting to crack and fray at the edges a year or two or five years later and he would say, oh, I look forward to that day. (laughs) You ask a doctor, if they look forward to the day where they don't have to give any news to anyone of a sickness or an adversity, where they don't have to treat people anymore, or a surgeon who says, I don't have to fix anyone, put anyone back together anymore. If you ask them, would you like a day when all those things come to an end? And they would say, I'd long for that day. You ask a police officer, if they long for a day when they don't have to attend any more domestic violence call-outs, or pick up body parts from a road from people who have been involved in a road rage and there's been a foolish accident and they would say, oh, I long for that day. You ask, you ask a judge if they long for a day in which there will be no more lies or deceit, no more having to call people to account because people just are filled with love and the presence of another God who is animating them in a way that causes them to be fully alive and I bet that judge would say oh I look forward to that day you ask a parent who's been trying to find their teenager's clothes in their room for weeks and they live behind that door and they have their own kingdom established and you know there's things growing in there that shouldn't you know that there's things that are moving around that you wish you could get your hands on and fix but unless they open up that door there ain't gonna be no fixing that mess and you long for the day in which all of those things are put back in proper order you ask me if you look forward to that day i tell you There's a yearning and an inkling inside of each one of us that longs for this world to be put back together. And that's exactly the way he describes it. You see, he says this, we must all appear before a judgment seat of the Messiah so that each may receive what has been done through the body, whether good or bad. So we know the fear of the Lord, not that you're afraid because he's bad, but because he's intensely good and that we are only relatively good. But if he would come into your life as he reaches out with the right arm of his son and the left arm of his spirit, that he would actually reach down to you as he's done and say, I'll forgive you and I will heal the grime and I will wash clean the guilt and I will fill you with the presence of my spirit and make you fully alive. God has been reaching out with the right arm of his son and the left arm of his spirit to draw you back to himself and his invitation to you is welcome why don't you come and start building for my kingdom that I've got into place because if you start building for it now by receiving me into your life then you'll be looking forward to it when it comes in full I mean there might be some people who see the invitation of Jesus and they say no I'm going to close the door of my room and I'm going to say, you have no part in here and I don't want you in here and I want to build my own kingdom. Well, at the end, Jesus will have to sadly, kindly say, well, build your own kingdom then, but you can't build your kingdom in mine because it'll just be like the garden all over again. But you're welcome. Would you come? The day. And now in between. 
What does life look like in between for someone who has experienced the welcome of God as he's extended the right arm of his son and the left arm of his spirit and he's drawing creation back to himself? What does that look like? It's a wonderful story where Jesus has been crossing the sea and he's over in the land of the Gerasenes and there's a man who is not fully right in his mind. And he delivers that man a great deliverance such that it says that this man who had been cutting himself and harming himself chained up is in his right mind and his full sense back together again. And he's sitting there and he's experienced the powerful transformation of Jesus in his own life. And so he turns to Jesus and he says, can I go where you go? Now he actually puts it a bit blunter than that. He says, I want to be with you. If you give me life like this, I am with you. I have hitched my wagon to you, and where you go, I am going. And Jesus, he turns to him, and he says these profound words. Go back home. Go to your people and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Tell them how he's had pity on you. And he went off, and it says that he began to announce in the ten towns what Jesus had done for him. And it says of him that everyone was astonished. Because of the transformation that had taken place in this man's life, that's taking place in the lives of Leanne and many other people that we've been hearing from in the last seven weeks, because God has come alive. How do you live in between the times? Well, you start to just, wherever you are, in your own space, in your own sphere. Why don't you tell someone something good that Jesus has been doing in your life because he seems to be really good at doing stuff like that. It seems to me, maybe we've been asking the wrong question all these years when I think about it like that, the destination and the day and life in between. Maybe we've been too preoccupied with what do I have to do to go to heaven when I die rather than asking this far more personal question relevant question, how might I partner with Jesus in bringing his heaven to earth? In other words, it's the difference between missing or messing up our prepositions rather than Jesus is on about rescuing me for heaven so I can get away from earth. Maybe the reality is, is that he's actually rescued me from the powers of mortality and failed morality of sin and death so that I can start partnering with him in building for his kingdom until he comes and puts it back together again. And welcomes people saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Look, he says, I'm making all things new. It's new. You see, that day is a day to celebrate. That day is a day of joy. That day is a day of goodness in which God will put back together what he has begun when Jesus rose to new life. I'm going to ask the band to come up in a moment. We're going to create some space right now for us to be able to connect with God and have some time to pause and respond to him. I wonder what he might be saying to you today. You see, as I draw this seven weeks to a close, I wonder if any of this is connected with you in a deeper sense. 
I wonder, have you been challenged to cultivate God's presence in your life so that you might shine, that you might be animated by him? It's about getting away and from the busyness of our frequent minds with so much things going on and pausing for a moment and saying, God, would you speak to me? It's about opening up the Bible and saying, God, would you speak to me? It's about this sense in which you can feel God's presence because what you've decided to do is say, God, I'd like to be open to what you want to say to me in my life. I wonder. Next week, we're going to start two weeks talking about busy, busy. It's a plus one fortnight. I wonder who you might want to show and tell and say, come, we're going to talk about some life things. Or I wonder if you've given the keys of your life over to Jesus and you've allowed him in the driver's seat, if this morning might be the most appropriate thing for you to do is to respond to him and say, come into my life, just like Leanne has done. I want to follow you. We're going to have a communion space right now, and there's some tables. So one at the front, the rear, the rear there, and the front here. And if you would like to participate with us, communion is a space that thanks Jesus for not only his death, but for his life. And if you'd like to participate, Paul, who described these things, said on the night before, Jesus was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new agreement, the new partnership, the new covenant between God and humans. Drink it. And as often as you do, do it in remembrance of me. And then Paul goes on and he says, when you do these things, you celebrate and remember Jesus' death until he comes Again, So it's not only looking to the past, it's looking to the future. If you're here this morning and you've been distant from God, but you'd like to draw close, then I would invite you to. You can take one of these cards and read it and participate. For those, this is a normal practice. I would invite you to come and take some bread, take the cup. Come and sit back down, maybe share it with someone else. And eat and drink, declaring thanks for what he's done but looking forward to the future and the day ahead. That joy, that liberation, that celebration.